Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. I've been focusing a lot lately on organizational emergency management and the nuances and the differences between government emergency management and what we need to do as a field to address it because we're looking at the future. I have an expert on the show right now that talks about emergency management and security that can talk about my EM insecurities. Stupid pun. Uh, but it is Zach Borst. He is a really cool guy. I've met him a little while ago, and we just had really cool conversations and said, you know, I need to get this guy on the show so we can talk about it. Zach, welcome. Thank you for having me, John. I uh, really appreciate it. Expert is a strong term. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm a generalist. I've done a little bit of everything, so uh, hopefully I can pass on some of that knowledge. Well, most people get the phrase wrong. Oh, did I bring this up last episode? I might have brought this up last episode. But uh, m most people get the phrase wrong. A jack of all trades is a master of none, but better than a master of one. People always forget that last part. So to be a generalist um, and to keep learning, uh, I would say that's how you stay in front of the curve. So uh, I'm first rebuttal of the, uh, the of the show, but uh, <laughs> I definitely have a lot of respect for uh, what you've done and and what you're doing now. Um, but before we get into like all of that. Let's just talk about real quick uh, your very cool podcast, which is not on the Readiness Lab network, by the way. So I'm just being a good guy here, um, Scuttlebutt. Um, so if if you're gonna like this show, uh, make sure you gotta check out his podcast. I'm sure you're gonna have new episodes because you're a cool guy. But yeah, it, it's uh, it's a little bit ridiculous. It's me and my buddy. Honestly, it's really just a way that we can catch up because it's so hard to get each other together. But yeah. uh, it's a lot more uh, into conspiracies and weird stuff uh, <laughs> and military stuff, uh, which is one of my other lives. But uh, yeah, it was fun. I enjoy it. I, it keeps my creative juices flowing. So I was kind of excited to get uh, invited onto this. I, I enjoy this stuff. So it's awesome. Well, I, I had a lot of fun listening to it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a, a quick call out um, for some of our audience um, that called me out on a previous episode that's actually gone now because it was the worst episode ever. <laughs> but, um, you know, they're like, hey, uh, you kind of backpedaled or it seemed like you backpedaled on January 6th and how that it was like the worst. I don't know. Like it was, a, it was definitely an insurrection. It was it was like borderline, like top three, top five worst um, I want to say worst events in U.S. history because obviously slavery. Um, and all of that, but, uh, in definitely in modern history, uh, last 50 years, just so embarrassing. And I liked how not only you brought that up on your podcast, but you're making fun of it. So kudos to you, sir, for, uh, for saying what I, what I feel very adamantly about it. So, yeah, well, and I think, uh, in light of sort of what we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, the, the failure of physical security, uh, mm. that occurred there was, was not because it wasn't in place. It was because of policy and stuff, which we can talk about a little oh, bit, but, yes. um, Look, you know, that's natural... sort of like, what do we do? Uh, cool. We have all these features in place, but when do we turn them on? Uh, mm. so, um, yeah, more fodder for discussion. You know, I totally did that on purpose. I was like, <laughs> hey, this is a great way to talk about uh, physical security and just uh, security policy. So let's let's just jump into it then. Okay, so let's talk about it from, obviously, pre-disaster, the planning perspective. You have, I would say, three main areas, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Sure. Um, you have, like, the physical design to try to steer people. Then you have your physical security, like your actual security measures. That would be like your metal detectors or whatever gates. And then you have your personnel in 
in that security. And for an organizational level emergency manager, you know, government keeps these things so like totally separate. FBI versus FEMA, not even under DHS. And DHS is kind of like in the middle. Um, but you know, for an organizational level emergency manager, you're looking at your counterpart who is, you know, the head of security, right? And you're you might even be directing them. So what are the key areas for you to start setting up the idea of threat analysis or threat prevention, really? Yeah, so uh, my role when it came to physical security, so I was an emergency manager for a a medium-sized university. So we had, you know, anywhere from 12,000 students and, you know, several thousand uh, faculty um, and uh, other, uh, you know, people visiting the campus at any time. So Mm. one of the issues that, I had to face is that our physical security had to be pretty fluid because it's a public university. So uh, mm-hmm. in theory, people are supposed to come through and, and you know, be able to uh, enjoy uh, all of the benefits of having a giant university on your you know, town. Yes. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, what we had to worry about was, you know, we had uh, residential facilities there. So when you're talking about uh, housing and, and protecting people while they sleep and, and, you know, keeping their stuff safe. Uh, so you have access control issues. Um, we had situations, you know, obviously the, the big concern that most hired institutions and most other campus institutions is an active shooter or some sort of active threat. So the ability to quickly lock down facilities, which, you know, our campus is over 200 years old. Um, Mm. so that's really challenging. There's a lot of old doors there that do not have electronic access control. Um, and then there's like, uh, sports and stuff. So, you know, we would do uh, threat analysis every year, threat and hazard analysis every year to kind of update stuff uh, and then line up with like uh, the state Thyra. So we understood what what they're worried about and try to sync up everything. Um, but as far as like kind of keeping that thing moving so that you're constantly up to date, it's like training, exercising, planning all the time and keeping all your stakeholders involved. Um, so, you know, again, I'm not necessarily an expert in physical security, but it was, that's like every single incident that we dealt with at the university when I was there, uh, had a physical security, uh, concern. And then, you know, again, when it comes down to the, the very crux of physical security is, is the person, uh, you know, who's, Mm. who's going to be involved in it. So we're talking students, faculty, and visitors, um, they're your weakest point because, uh, the person who holds the door open on a secured um, building, it, you know, now you've compromised however many thousands of dollars, maybe millions of dollars you've invested in trying to protecting that that building. So mm. um, you've got to keep everybody, um, you know, trained and prepared and thinking about uh, their own physical security and, and t- helping out, you know, with their, their business or their university or their hospital. Yeah. So um, I can remember uh, working for a federal agency in DC. And one of the first things I did for my hazard vulnerability assessment is I just went through and looked at like, I just like walked to the ground and started taking pictures, yeah. like finding lights that were out, finding dark places. I went through at night. want to make sure that we had well-lit areas. Um, are the, the 911, like, you know, like the blue call center. Oh yeah. Um, you know, just making sure everything, by the way, <laughs> I know, I know. Tell me about it. They're well, broken all the time. <laughs> uh it's like do they even work yeah so that that's that's the other thing so there is sort of like you know there's uh security by design and then there's sort of like this theater of security the blue lights are largely theater of security if you're getting chased by someone across the campus and uh you know you're not gonna go i'm gonna run to that blue light you're like uh this person is you know bears trying to eat me uh (laughs) we've had moose on campus 
You're not running to the blue light. You're trying to get as far away from that hazard as possible. Um, But people like it. It makes them feel safe. There's some question as to whether or not the blue lights maybe deter some, uh, Mm. you know, crime and stuff. But, um, you know, that's another thing that you have to take into consideration. Sometimes the theater is important. I mean, that's like, you know, you could argue TSA. Uh, certainly they have they they, i mean obviously they do stop stuff it's been found you know they catch people with weapons and everything else but Mm. um if somebody truly wants to get through there you know they're going to do it but uh there's some degree of like freaking people out ahead of time so that they don't do it you know you want to kind of scare the the bad guys into thinking you're better at what you do than maybe you are so yeah cameras is the same thing yeah i think it was 2016 where um the well, DHS did a test of the security of TSA, and they did, I think, 72 tests and 69 they got through. Yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, I, I don't know. What, what, what more could we possibly do? You're getting x-rayed. You're taking your shoes yeah, off. You're point. standing there like a moron as this machine scans <laughs> you, and there's a naked x-ray of you up on the screen. Yeah. I mean, it's it's about as intrusive as I think anyone's going to allow. And uh, You know what? You Fair know. enough. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's also other good points. We want to get to them real quick, but sure. we're going to take a quick break for uh, some of our sponsors. Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply Disaster Tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at DobermanEMG.com or click on the show notes. Radio comms just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated 3 meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. The battle to monitor and contain COVID-19 just got exponentially better for us. We are officially introducing an electronic reusable, yes, reusable COVID-19 test through our sponsors. It's called the COVID Plus Test, created by Tiger Tech, distributed by FS Global. This is the first FDA-authorized, rapid, non-invasive pre-screener. It's extremely easy to use. Forget those one-time use swabs. This is a disaster-tough technology. For more information on the COVID Plus test, check out our show notes. Okay, let's jump back in. So we're talking about um, the theater of security and the purpose of theater of security. I really like your point about TSA. Like, what more could they do? In terms of the authority, there's more that they could do with the authority. But, like, the one funny thing I have about TSA is that... Because they are an appearance of security, and that's kind of really their purpose, um, and they are deterrent, right? Like the most sure. stupid. Yeah. Let's like okay, it's a like, hard job. I, I want to say right out front, like oh. TSA agents, <laughs> I feel terrible. Like you guys go through the ringer. It is a tough job. Yeah, like nobody's happy going through TSA, except for when you have pre-check, and it's like the best thing ever. That, yes. um, but. Like, a, like my favorite thing is there's a comedian that talks about um, all the uh, liquid bombs. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to throw away this liquid bomb next to all the other liquid bombs because it's one more ounce more liquid bomb than the other liquid bombs. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it's a good point. It's like, yeah. okay. Um, my thought process is like, what, 
like again, you said about TSA, like, well, what more can we do? But if you're talking to the field in terms of the actual theater, what are some things that emergency managers should be thinking through? I, I, we mentioned cameras, we mentioned lights, we mentioned maybe, you know, the theater of deterrence or the actual the stations, 911 stations. What else would you put into place to help people? Yeah. So a lot of the stuff that we try to do, uh, A, accessibility, so that when something's uh, happening, that you're getting that message across in as many ways as you can. So we have like electronic, uh, or we had electronics. I, I'm not there anymore, so I'm speaking past tense. Uh, but mm. I love that school. I was there for a very long time. I went to school there. It's my alma mater. I love it. Uh, so uh, we would use visual cues. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that you can do ahead of time just through like clear marking. Uh, and you have to remember like during a crisis, people are not going to be thinking straight. So uh every sort of security piece that you have has to be uh, intelligently placed. Like, you know, you don't want doors locking that for some reason people can't get out in the event of an emergency or in some cases get in. So that was one of the things that we always had is like, do you lock down the campus during an active shooter? Because now you're essentially stranding people outside. So, uh, you know, that's something that every single campus has to think about, you know, corporate campus, uh, is that what you want to do? And then at what point, how are people letting people in? Um, so mm. all this stuff has to be thought about, but that's again, where it gets down to like, talk to your stakeholders and make sure that they're involved. So, uh, one thing I tried to do is, was get students involved. So I always had interns, uh, when I was an emergency manager, um, and made sure that they attended all the meetings with me and that they weren't just like there to take notes. Um, mm. you know, I would look to them as experts. Like they're the ones who are going to class and, and eating lunch and sleeping on campus potentially. So, you know, are these functioning for you and what holes do you see? So. You know, for a while, we were having a lot of issues with people propping doors open uh, at night. You know, Vermont gets very cold. Like, you know, it can be it was minus 25 here last week or two weeks ago. Um, mm. So when you prop a door open, pipes freeze, things break. Um, but because it was like, I don't remember what the exact cause was. There was some issue with the card thing. They, students were basically doing it to bypass having to, like, go all the way around the building. And it was the most convenient entrance. So that stuff happens. Mm. Um, you know, other things like paths you know like we have we had all these really like well-lit paths and stuff but we noticed like students were crossing through this one field all the time which was dark at night and but that was how mm. students were getting to and from classes so they eventually mm. uh paved that path and then put lights there and you know students took it and it, now you have uh what was a sketchy walk is now safe so mm. um you know there's a lot of cool stuff you can do by just asking people, you know, what makes them feel, where, where do you feel vulnerable? Um, you know, what kind of stuff do you think would make you feel safer? I think that's an excellent point. Uh, it reminds me of like Ohio state university. So you mean like the famous, Ohio state. Okay. My clip about the Ohio state <laughs> ESPN made all of my friends outside of Ohio. Cause I'm from Ohio, mm -hmm. uh, say the Ohio state, like emphasize it. But no one from Ohio actually says the Ohio State. I know. Is there another Ohio you know, State? I feel like it's... There's uh, Ohio University. Yeah. Oh. But still, thing, everybody says, still, everyone still says Ohio. Like, okay. it's more common to say Ohio for Ohio State than Ohio for Ohio University. Interesting. Yeah. Because, like, that's it's a, such a small campus. It's like a, such a... It's like... It's out in the boonies too. It's in Athens. Yeah. Um, or UVM and it's the University of Vermont. And that has to do with Universitas Viridius Montes. Like it's University of the Green Mountains. And uh, for whatever reason. So they go UVM and people are like, don't you mean like UVT? You, We're like, no. 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 Well, we we also say CPM in our industry. Oh, yeah. And the M is the Roman numeral for thousand, which is dumb. <laughs> um, 
like just CPT. Um, okay, people have a big problem with tea. Yeah, um, huge problem. Maybe because of the British. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Let's blame them. <laughs> it's it's like ingrained in our culture. Okay, so uh, yeah, I, I like the idea. So Ohio State, they do this thing where they watch essentially the the student populations moving, and they have this uh, this grounds called the Oval. Yeah, and there are the most random walkways every which direction. It doesn't follow any kind of pattern. The only thing it follows is if there was a class that was in A and a new class that was created in B, those students will just walk there. And so they'll just create a new brick yeah. or a new uh, cement walkway. And I think that's smart. I think it's okay to say, like, instead of just, like, trying to corral everybody, trying to use their natural inclination to help them just be safer. Yeah, and, yeah, and, and that's, I, that's common in a lot of planning now, not just in, uh, like, emergency management, but public planning and stuff, like, you know, mm -hmm. make the environment work for people, um, which is important for emergency management as well. So in that same sense, you know, like, if you go to large stadiums and stuff, um, they design the entryways they, where, where trash cans are placed. Like, it may seem random that there's, like, a trash and recycling can in the middle of a hallway in this huge uh, space. And it's not because they're like, well, we just want to make sure people throw stuff out here. There, some of those uh, are actually designed to essentially break up the crowd as they get to the doors. I'm really curious. So you're, you're talking about breaking up the crowd by using yes. essentially natural barriers. Yeah. So uh, when you have the barriers there, as they're approaching, it's like a rock in a stream. And it actually sort of disperses people out around so that when they get to the doorways, they're not all piled up. And they learned that from... Uh, I mean, I think it was soccer games originally where you'd have crushing incidents uh, when people were panicking, trying to get out of uh, stadiums and stuff. So mm. that type of design you should have everywhere. You can have it in uh, malls. You can have it in uh, your offices. Again, like the whole point is to make these uh, security features work. If they're not working for people, then what is the point of it? I, I honestly don't understand. Like it, it's no just point. then it's worse than security theater. You're actually creating a, a detriment to security. Well, that's uh, that comes into the personnel part because... A lot of campuses hire, you know, third-party security forces, um, you know, your your security guards essentially, and uh, one one potential issue is, for example, we had a um, we had a quote-unquote scary event at our uh, facility, and it turned out to be not that big of a deal. And um, one of the maintenance guys, I was talking to him, and he's like. Yeah, so if there was like a real world scenario where there were like bad guys were coming into our federal building, I would just like go up to the security guard and he was trying to run away and say, hey, can I take your weapon? Yeah. Like he had no no hope in, in this guy, but I knew a lot of the other guys who would do the right thing. But in either way, like there's a security presence. How can you make that security presence work? And that's definitely a, a real world thing because as soon as real world happens... If you're on a federal, uh, you know, federal uh, a building or land, you're going to be calling the federal police service. Um, you're going to be calling different agencies. And so all of a sudden you have a multi-agency coordinated effort to deal with this as the emergency manager, i.e. the emergency coordinator um, to dealing with the situation. What would be your quote unquote, okay, I have to like checklist to deal with outside security versus inside security? Yeah, I mean, obviously it comes down to like planning and exercising for the most part. You want to have those people involved early on, even in the design. So right before I left, we were building a new, well, redesigning uh, a new athletic uh, facility. And, you know, the local fire department was heavily involved in how uh, 
the fire alarm system was going to function, you know, such as like overrides for speakers uh, for the PA system and stuff, what was going to be displayed on the giant uh, screens and everything. Mm. Um, The other thing is like trying to plan for that incident as well. So identifying where your command post is going to be, especially like, again, Vermont gets really cold and the weather can be awful. If you can set up a command post inside somewhere and work nice and warm, you're going to have a much better time. So uh, depending on the scenario, a lot of times we would sort of like, you know, once the, the situation was stabilized enough that maybe we could move to somewhere a little bit more safe, we would do that. Um, mm. But again, it all comes down to sort of like proper planning. And, and when you're talking about proper planning and, and disasters, that can be really challenging. You don't know what the big disaster is going to be. A lot of times, like some of the stuff that I was dealing with, I had no idea I'd have to figure this out. Uh, a broken pipe in the top floor of a multi-floor building with lots of expensive equipment, potentially, um, you know, priceless research Mm -hmm. that is going to cause a lot of issues. So you have to figure out how to address that on the fly. Like that's not something I've ever thought of like, well, it's a flood, but it's inside the building. It doesn't affect the outside of the building. Um, but it affects everyone that's working in there. So, Mm. um, you know, as we sort of catalog these things, like making sure you're doing those after actions, uh, you're taking the lessons learned, um, having a good network so that you don't have to come up with all the scenarios. Uh, yes. you know, like you said, the Ohio state, uh, their emergency managers are awesome. I have leaned on, uh, the university, uh, and college caucus, even though I'm not a, a higher ed emergency manager anymore, I'm still in touch with all those folks because they mm. were so helpful. Um, so trying to take advantage of, of your network, uh, is, is huge. I think that's like one of the most important things in emergency management. I, I would take a, a good networker and public speaker over someone who's got a million certifications and degrees. Um, it's just, I, you're, you're collaborating. That's everything that, that you have to do. I get nervous when I walk into an EM's office and they have on their wall, every IC, ICS certificate and they have like... <laughs> you know, their online 30 minute education certificate, like all or, the or the name that just on LinkedIn, that's like this long, like I'm totally oh down. Gosh. You want to highlight some like, you know, CEM, uh, your masters, like that stuff takes some time. Absolutely. Um, I don't put anything in, uh, just cause I'm like, uh, I've got constant, uh, imposter syndrome. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm always like, I don't deserve this. I don't, I, I, this is, I'm just a nobody. Um, I am noticing that I look ghastly under this other camera though <laughs> whatever you're fine <laughs> it's like it's a like, it's like a ghost just i'm no. glowing i mean i you know it's it's winter in vermont i haven't seen the sun in about four months so. yeah it looks like you're like in alaska like <laughs> mid and um, now you can clearly see all the board games that i had in the background and the oh, stuff that i awesome. had i'd placed out of range of the camera for the audio people we're just gonna have to describe this you're not gonna see it so <laughs> that's a good plug you know we don't have a lot of people on our youtube channel although we just crossed you know it's funny we have like 18 to 19,000 uh people listening to the show and we have a hundred subscribers but we just hit a hundred subscribers on youtube so That's awesome. we'll take it hey i'm grateful i'm one of them yeah um, i believe in it well steve kerr's episode man people are commenting left and right on on youtube which just shows like the conversations happening there too which is pretty cool but um in terms of like walking through all those scenarios yeah my famous story is that I asked a maintenance person. I was, like I said, I went everywhere, all over this campus in uh, DC, and um, it was healthcare. Yeah. And I was talking to everybody, had lots of interviews. And one, one guy said, every winter I get really nervous that that brick wall is going to break when it freezes and, uh, and uh, thaws. And that's where our power is for this hospital. Yeah. And so that guy gave me that advice. And my due diligence, so I started working with our coop person and whatever, 
and uh, we created the this MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding for the um, like the largest contract in uh, the National Capital Region for dry ice because it was a research oh, hospital. Wow. Yeah, that winter froze, broke, dropped onto the um, onto the power. We lost all the power. Minus eighty freezers, millions and millions and millions oh, yeah. of dollars yeah. of research, and two hours later, no problem. Uh, because all the dry ice was automatically coming in, put it around those freezers. Um, we had we brought in generators, and six hours later, um, essentially the the issue had taken care of itself. If we had not done that, we would have had a major major problem. Well, we had a scenario where we did have the major problem. We had a, a prolonged uh, windstorm outage that actually took out a multi-phase power system, mm. which is not something you can just repair. Um, and the building's uh, backup power was only designed to sort of carry out. So here's again, being a higher ed emergency manager, like you, you have to be a generalist. You have to be able to do everything. Yes. So uh, I went to our research center and I was helping move freezers around to the various plugs because the ones that like we knew could last 48 hours or whatever, those were not the priority plugged into the backup system. So we had to just like move stuff around and kind of finagle this power setup so that we could keep it running while trying to figure out backup generation. Um, and I don't mm. know if you know how, I mean, you, you probably do because you helped figure this out, but backup generators for a huge building are insanely expensive. Oh yeah. And every single plan for every single, you know, university and, and hospital and government building has them on, uh, on the plans until it comes time to cut the check and they have to start <laughs> figuring out where those things are going to go and who's mm. going to pay for it. And it's almost always sort of like the first thing that gets yanked. Um, so having the the ability to sort of like adapt on the fly and solve that, you know, uh, dry ice is is great. Um, mm. We kind of just plug stuff around and, and moved it around, and you know, we may do it was fine, but um, it was challenging. Uh, but we had worked with the researchers, we had worked with that college to sort of uh, have an emergency plan in place. Mm. So it was inconvenient, but it wasn't a crisis. And if we had uh, not done that ahead of time, um, you know, the the whole don't trade business cards during a disaster thing. Um, you know, that would have been a much, much more challenging event. So, man, you just highlighted so many important things. Inconveniences are not crisis. Yeah. Crises. I, I man, talk about like the quote. We got to like put that quote down somewhere and put it on social media because like I, I think people forget that sometimes. And uh, problem solvers, emergency managers are problem solvers. You're talking you're talking through like, hey, we had a. Our, for our level of understanding, maybe a, a quote-unquote black swan, not even on the radar of what we had to do, and and yet you still were a problem solver in that. And that's kind of like security in a lot of ways. Um, and EM for security is you're doing all the planning. You're, you're, the plan, the process is just as important as the product, especially with, um, with security because you, I'm not the security guard. I'm not the sheriff. I'm not the federal police service. But guess what? If they show up on site, I need to be able to speak their language and to be able to tell them exactly what's happening. Oh, and by the way, all the people that hired you to be the EM don't know what EM is. Yeah. And they think you are the guy with the gun. And so, like, there's, you know, the the officer, right? So there's there's a, a language there. There's a coordination there. And getting people on board is um, so incredibly important. So great call out. In terms of wrapping up this episode, as as we're looking into like the final stages here, um, that you're we're talking about a couple different processes throughout. We're talking about the grounds. We're talking about the planning. We're talking about coordinating with other groups, 
is there another piece that needs to be included in here? And if, or if not, what do we do now? Like what's the emergency manager do right now after listening to this episode? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is to sort of, uh, you know, you talked about your, when you were walking through buildings, uh, that's what I did for lunch. So like to get out of my office and, and just walk around, I'd go around and poke around uh, mm. the campus and try to find, cause a, you just don't know when something happens. If, if you're responsible for a facility, you got to have at least some understanding. And for a university, there's lots and lots of facilities. I mean, I think there's hundreds of buildings uh, that we were involved in. So um, get to know your, your community and your constituents. Um, and I can't tell you how many times just walking around, uh, I ran into someone and it turned into a, a small conversation, which then turned into, you know, a solution later on, like, you know, see a facilities person working on something and you're like, Hey, what are you doing? And they're like, Oh, we have this issue. Uh, you know, we're having power problem or something. You're like, okay, well, I'm going to put that in the back of my mind because I know that there's a lab upstairs that has, you know, those, uh, minus, uh, whatever, uh, freezers for, uh, specimens and mm -hmm. we need to preserve those. So check. Awesome. Um, and you may, uh, come across, uh, stuff that's before disasters occurred, like you're seeing it ahead of time. Um, so yeah, I think I just can't, you know, foot stomp this enough, like get to know your people, uh, and network, network, network. I wish I had known that earlier. I knew it earlier. I just was nervous about it. Cause I, again, the sort of imposter syndrome, I was like, do I actually belong here? Uh, what I discovered is if you wear like a, an orange or green vest and you carry a clipboard around, you can pretty much get into anything. <laughs> And so you just start showing up to meetings and people honestly usually don't send you out of a meeting. They assume you're supposed to be there. So I attended a lot of the like, you know, police meetings, the hospital meetings and stuff. And eventually people were like, I guess he should be here. And they started inviting me. Um, so, you know, you got to get your foot in the door, uh, get to know everyone. Um, and eventually, you know, you're, you're the person, so, you know, where you're fighting to get involved, invited mm -hmm. initially, eventually they call you cause they're like, we need him here. We need Zach to come here and help out. Um, and again, like physical security is, I don't think you even want to think of it as something separate from emergency management. It is, it's part of it, right? Yes. Like you, you have to know what you're going to do to protect people, uh, you know, through protective actions. Uh, and then you have to know what you're, how your buildings are going to react in a crisis, you know, through, and you're going to invest in that. You're going to do mitigation. You're going to do, um, you know, enhancement. So, um, it's almost like it's, it's not, it's weird that it's treated separately, but it's, 100% in your purview. You may not be the one who, who does it or, or is the expert in it, but you have to deal with it. Okay. This is the problem uh, with me. This is where I'm going to want to talk way too long because you just <laughs> highlighted, I don't know if it's like the giant bright light on your face right now. Very um, that makes you look so bright. <laughs> um, no, but you had a, a lot of great comments. First of all, I like how in your uh, in your closing remarks, essentially, you just highlighted a major security issue. If if I'm wearing a vest, I can probably get into anywhere. Oh yeah, is a real problem. Well, if you're a hospital, you know, if you got the white coats, the same thing, right? Yeah, just walk right through. Uh, walk like. So I've done that actually with uh, EM all the time. Like, um, yeah, I, I just like act like I own it, and I do. But really, what you're calling out is. Um, from, from like, not like a major security threat issue is that, uh, showing up is half the battle. Yes. Like just fighting to, to be there and to, to be heard and to be, I understand some imposter syndrome. I, I remember that being in college and, uh, DHS coming over to facility and I was like, what's going on? And then I had like the worst coworker in the world. Um, <laughs> I have no problem saying that she was horrible. She's a horrible person, but, um, she, she was just like making us look bad, like left and yeah. right. And, um, 
Well, let's do that's another that's what, a whatever. I, I wonder I'm just going to put a, a point on that, because one of the things that I found with working with some people is that they think they have to be the expert. And so they start talking. Mm. And what they do is reveal they don't know anything. They're just like <laughs> running their mouths. And I think as an emergency manager, like a really good emergency manager loses the ego. Like you want to be, you don't have to be the expert in everything. You really do have to be the generalist. So there's a lot of times where like people are like, well, what about this? I don't know. I'm going to go call, you know, uh, Chief Bilodeau from UVM police. And I'm going to ask him because I'm not the police expert. He's the expert. Mm. Um, you know, when I was dealing with, uh, we had some uh, concerns all of a sudden with like earthquake risk. Like, you know, well, we somebody discovered we're in a moderate earthquake zone. So I was like, well, where am I going to go? I'll go to the the geology department where we Easy. have earthquake experts. Yeah. Um, you know, you have a lot of people in your your organization, whether you know it or not. They may not be experts like professionally, but they may have a hobby where they're really into it. Um, mm. You know, so just like don't. Don't let perfect get in the way of good enough uh, is is often what I deal with. Um, yes. Just solve the problem. And if you don't know, that's totally cool. You can be a bad coworker and not know. Um, mm. That's more important than being the, the know-it-all coworker who doesn't, you know, gets you into trouble because they say, I think I know how to solve this and they don't. Yeah. Um, but again, it, it just comes down to, again, the networking and, and utilizing your, that's a resource. That's a huge resource. Just the, you know, those people around you. Yeah. It, and also makes you look a lot. A lot better too. A little humility goes a long way. This is why. Oh, yeah. I, this is why I like like the podcast. I tell people it's like my personal masterclass because I get to interview people who I think are super interesting and have backgrounds and experiences that I want to hear from that I get to learn from. And so every week, I feel like I'm gaining a little bit more. And you know, lo and behold, we were a couple, what three years into this, um, I feel like I'm in a totally different place than I was, you know, just a few years ago. And I'm one of those guys who. I'm also like on LinkedIn, I don't put like CM, I don't put my masters, I don't put all that stuff. It's just like, you know who I compare it to actually is Rodney Melsick. Rodney Melsick is the, the goat of emergency planning. No one will ever be able to touch him. He doesn't do any letters after his name. So if I can get to Rodney <laughs> Melsick's le level, and it's just like, then, then I'll know I made it. But yeah, um, yeah, great call outs in all, in all ways. And so as we're wrapping up here, I just want to um, say thank you, Zach, again, for coming on talking about uh, security doesn't get talked about nearly enough in EM, uh, especially because we focus so much on the agency side and not the organizational side and uh, a campus. Wow. Um, so lots of great experiences, great advice to the field. And so thanks again for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Uh, sorry about the camera stuff. So people who are watching this, uh, you're going to get a real show. Um, I, you know, it's in our history. We don't usually edit. So you'll probably see me doing this at waving my hands at some point hilariously. But, <laughs> you know, it's been fun. It's been good. It's been a good time. I'm sure we'll have you back on. If you liked what Zach said, if you liked this episode, if, you, if it made you think more about security and emergency management with security, whether it's physical or people or planning or otherwise, we would love to hear about it on one of our social media channels for Disaster Tough Podcast. I also have to do my shameless plug. It does mean something to us. If you give us a five-star rating and subscribe, tell us what you thought in a very positive way. Uh, also, we, you know, we get other kinds of feedback too, and we actually really appreciate it. So uh, just sending us feedback. We want to learn. We want to keep, uh, keep creating a, a better show. So make sure you listen to us. Also, check out the Readiness Lab. It's a podcast network of which we're part of. Send us a comment. Let us know on social media that, hey, I really like Zach's episode. I wish Scuttlebutt would come on to the Readiness Lab. <laughs> you can just do a nice job for us there. That'd be awesome. Um, and we will see you next week. <laughs>